Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, the baseball season is, of course, finished, so I won't be on it as much looking for tickets for baseball, or at all, really. I mean, what games are there? But uh, comedy is is a big thing I like to enjoy during the winter. And so you can st- you can use SeatGeek for everything else. Concerts, that's kind of all-encompassing when it comes to comedy shows, um, you know, theater shows, actual, con- you know, music concerts, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, they got Broadway, music festivals, they got everything on there. So you can still use it to find that. In fact, I was just looking the other day uh, to find some, some Seinfeld tickets. So I'm kind of interested to see what I'm going to be able to find there. He's coming uh, in January. So Now, SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls the tickets available on other sites all into one place so you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. In fact, I can get you 20 bucks just for listening to the show. All you have to do is uh, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo. Enter the promo code SLEEPER. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase with them. So again, just download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Episode 402 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is Wednesday, November 9th. I'm your host, Paul Sporer, and I'm currently by myself. Nobody wanted to hang out with me. That's actually not true. That's not true at all. In fact, the reason I'm talking to you is because I need to introduce our guest episode for the week. Our guest episode, if you will. Guest episode. That's those two words put together. Very, very creative stuff over here. At Fangraphs and the Sleeper in the Bus. But anyway, we're going to be talking to, we, it's just me. I'm going to be talking to Doug Thorburn and Sammy Reed. They are the two co-hosts of the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast, a podcast that I definitely recommend you listen to because uh, it's really good. Now, listen, if you're going to choose between ours and theirs, I'm still going down for ours. Like, that's still put me down firmly for the Sleeper in the Bus. But... If you're looking to add and expand your catalog, the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast is a must. Uh, Doug, I used to work with over at, at Baseball Perspectives. We put together the starting pitcher guide together. Good friend of mine. Sammy been a friend via Doug and the podcast for the last couple of years, although uh, we did just finally meet in Arizona. In fact, I was with both the guys. That's not where this took place. That would have been perhaps cooler and more convenient, but time was a bit limited. 
especially since we already did our, our own live podcast, which I hope you listen to, and you can hear both of them participate on. Um, and then we also ended up doing the Facebook Live in the dugout at the Fall Stars game. Also want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the winter schedule. I've been saying that October was going to be a little bit in flux until, and then we get to November, we can kind of start to get some regimentation again. Some Is that a word? Regimentation? We can just get a regiment going. I don't know. Um I am going to be expanding the podcast to four episodes in season and in season, we'll say February and beyond during these next three months, November, December, January, it will be three to four. It it will not be a guaranteed four. Um, It's going to depend on who I can get for guests, workload uh, and things like that. So, Eno has, has said, you know, doesn't have to be four each week. Uh, in November, December, January. So, but once February comes around, we really start getting into high gear with baseball. We will be doing four episodes, and often the fourth will be a guest episode, whether it's bringing back Paul Costava to talk or getting guests from around the baseball industry. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's really all I wanted to fill you guys in on. It will be a little bit back on on a, on a more set schedule, though. Of course, Jason and I are always still trying to do Sundays, and then Eno and I. You can expect a day apart usually, right? So, if we do Tuesday, then the other one will be Thursday. If we go Monday, it'll be Wednesday. I I don't want to commit to uh, this must happen schedule of these days on the weekdays for one reason: news, uh, the way it kind of moves around could make better decisions now here's the thing it's going to be monday or tuesday um for the first one of the week most of the time so we're only talking a difference of a day here but if if it's like absolutely nothing has come across the wire on a monday then especially since we just did you know we just did a sunday show that's why or no the the decision choice will be between tuesdays and wednesdays and so then you're talking about tuesday thursday wednesday friday pardon me i had that wrong when i say monday but it's going to be decided okay monday is a slow news day tuesday is a slow news day why should we do tuesday when we have nothing to talk about let's wait till wednesday see if anything pops uh things like that so again those those two sets tuesday thursday wednesday friday those are going to be the two days that will bounce around a little, but uh, you can you can start to count on the three episodes uh, a week again of the podcast, and and hopefully you, you like what we have in store because we got plenty of stuff coming up, including this interview with uh, Sammy and Doug. So let's get right to it. I'm joined now by both hosts of the Baseball Hogs Anonymous podcast, a podcast I've mentioned on this one as one that you should definitely listen to. Doug Thorburn and Sammy Reed. Gentlemen, we just hung out this weekend. How y'all doing? Um, I'm I'm a little sad that we're not hanging out anymore in Arizona. You know, that was right? that was probably the uh the best weekend I've had in about six months. Playing poker, having a good time. It was a blast. Doug, how you doing? Oh man, that was so much fun. That was it, it was such a perfect capper to the season and especially because the from our first day there, I'm not sure about you, but uh, for me and Sammy, our first day there was the day after the World Series. It was perfect. Oh, it it really was. Same same here. I was there Thursday morning, and just I, I take no time to start lamenting the baseball season being over. So to get get another fill of it so quickly was awesome. So I I, I greatly appreciated that. Jeff Definitely wanted to extended. talk. 
Exactly. Exactly. We hit another checkpoint. We got a little bit more, got to do some drafting. In fact, that's going to be the crux of our discussion here. And we're going to talk about some maybe broader topics for 2017 drafts. Do want to let folks know that they can follow both of y'all on Twitter, Doug underscore Thorburn. That's T-H-O-R-B-U-R-N. And Sammy Reed, uh, R-E-I-D for those that don't know. Sammy Reed, F-I, because he works Fantasy Insiders. You can find Doug's work all around. Just follow them on Twitter. They definitely promote the work. And again, the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast is a must listen. If you're not, I just don't know what you're doing. I love the format that you guys do. It's one of my favorite listens. The game every week is so fun. Um, I dominate y'all usually, but but sometimes I get killed driving around in my car, giving my guesses. I'm like, Doug, how could you not get that? Oh my God, Sammy, you should have known that. <laughs> that's, always... that's the worst. That's the worst part is like putting yourself out there and having those just like complete brain fart moments in front of everybody. The but, thing uh, is, and, and we had in a the moment, games. I would. In the moment, I would, though. It's so easy when I'm just driving around listening to y'all and I get to kind of marinate on it while you guys are marinating on it out loud. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, no, it's it, it, it's totally Frank Thomas. Come on. That's such an easy one. And and then you're like, oh, Albert Bell. Oh, how could you get that? You know, it, it's a lot of fun, though. So I'm going to just explain the format quickly. You guys do the four bases. You open up first base is kind of the news of, of the week. Second base uh, is the baseball extract, which is also amazing. Sammy gets a, a hitter from Doug that he has to break down, and then he gives Doug a pitcher that he has to break down. Love that. And then third base is the game, and then home is is just a, a different topic. It kind of bounces around depending on what's going on. You know, when DFS, when all that stuff was going on, you guys talked a lot about that. The playoff preview you did. I mean, that that's just kind of your free-roaming topic. So I love the format of the four bases, I think it's. I think you guys are doing amazing work with the podcast. I have to say that. Well, Thanks, you. brother. That's uh, the big words coming from a true baseball holic such as yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's let's dive right into it, and I'm going to start. You guys uh, were there for the live podcast that we did. Thank you guys for showing up. That was awesome. I had a blast with that. You've seen that draft board. And I will include pictures of it in the notes of this podcast so you can get, you know, listeners can take a look themselves. But I'm going to start broadly and I'm going to start with Sammy. What is your biggest takeaway from the 2016 season that you're going to apply to your 2017 drafts? What happened, whether it's something that you learned from your drafts or something that happened in the league at large that you're going to say, okay, I need to adjust this lever substantially and take it into my 2017 drafts. Go ahead, Sammy. You know, I, I definitely think it's the idea that power is becoming a resource that you can get a lot of places, right? Home runs are going up so big and stolen bases are going down so much. And we saw this a lot, um, you know, last season with the one trick stolen base ponies, guys like D Gordon and Billy Hamilton and Ben Revere, that they let people down in a lot of ways. And I really feel like you want to get speed early in your drafts this season, you know, guys like Mookie Betts, guys like Charlie Bra Blackman and Starling Marte, getting that speed early on to go with some power is so huge because later on in the draft, there's not a lot of it. And this, and the steals that are there are really not very quality. Absolutely. Doug, what, what, what did you think? What's wonderful is I think the exact opposite of what Sandy said. <laughs> yes. My one takeaway is I will not pay for steals, especially early. There, I mean, it seems to me that everybody has warts, whether it's uh, – and yeah, don't get me wrong. I love Mookie Betts too. We would all love to have the one, a top three pick. But whether it's Billy, Billy Hamilton and sucking at the other four categories or Rajai Davis who seems to be kind of a late round 
uh, or waiver wire fodder every other season, and you know, and then then he's great every other season. I mean, there's even to guys like Manny Machado, who I went in the year not thinking he would steal twenty again, but thinking, hey, he's got a dozen in the some. bag, right? Yeah, Try zero, some. And that's the thing with steals; they're they're totally the result of choice. It's mm-hmm. the only stat where guys can well, – they don't decide they're going to hit a home run today, but they might decide they're going to try to steal a bag today. And on top of that, you've got the problem that they're always – and I've been saying this for years. Sammy's heard me say it for at least 10 years. Remember the Jose Reyes days. But these guys are all one hamstring tweak away from being worthless. And so – It's absolutely true though because uh, that that decision then gets taken out of their hands – because their wheels to get it done is no longer there to them. And, and, and between the two, I think I lean closer to Doug. I think another point also that, that kind of goes with Sammy's about the power is that now that there is so much power, it raises the bar of what you need at each position, though, too. So taking a three-homer Billy Hamilton is a negative. It's, it's a sharp negative, and you need to compensate for that. So I don't think that... You can just take a Billy Hamilton and say, okay, I got these steals. I'm not worried about the homers. Okay, you got the steals, but now you might have to take a Chris Carter or or, or reach for a Miguel Sano. And I like Miguel Sano. I've been getting him in a couple of these uh, middle of the rounds and these mocks that I've been doing. But I think taking one of those guys like a D. Gordon, Billy Hamilton, whomever it is, who is speed only, not not uh, like a Jonathan VR, I think he's going to continue to hit mid-teens power. So I, I do not include him in this. I'm talking about the guys who give you zero to three homers. I think that alters your draft too much to want to take them. And so I stay away. I'd rather get handfuls of stolen bases here and there. Well, I feel like that the identity of the players who do that changes. It's very volatile, more so than, say, homers and whatnot. So in general, especially early in a draft, I'm someone that I like, something I can bank on. I don't like to take too many risks early. That's just my style. I'm kind of a conservative player. The extent is poker, too. So. <laughs> that is true. And, and make no mistake, guys, I'm not advocating taking these one-trick ponies early, right? I'm, I'm advocating taking the combo guys, the guys that do give you some power but also steal a good amount of bases. I think I those, those guys, guys, their value is raised in this current landscape. Yeah, th- those guys are always my favorite, and I, I did take Mookie Betts second overall in this draft. It was a 15-team. It's a draft-and-hold league. It's 50 rounds. We did 23 here in Arizona. And the, the, First off, a lot of interesting quirks in this format just in general if you're going to do all 50 rounds at the same time. But a major wrinkle that we put here is that we do 23 now, and the other 27 don't start until January. So there's going to be a lot of dust to settle that really changes things. In fact, some of it will render some of the picks that we made in Arizona irrelevant. They'll become bad or they'll become much better. I mean, things are going to change, uh, obviously, with no baseball even being played. So I think that that's a really interesting part of this draft. I picked second. Happy with kind of how my, my first 23 turned out. But I want to talk about some of the more divisive players, some guys that some folks are quitting on, some folks are going all in on. And I want to kind of get your thoughts on where you're willing to take them. Two very early ones that I think we're gone within the top 16 picks. So within the first two rounds, I guess you could say, um, you know, since that 16th pick is first pick in the second round. But I want to start with Bryce Harper. He went ninth overall. And 
you know, it's, it, or excuse me, he went 11th. It's a little bit interesting that the season that he had has some folks worried, you know, because it wasn't a great season. Obviously, he labored pretty much ever since that, that major Chicago series. Not that that was the reasoning. That's just kind of that, that deep point of demarcation. But I think injuries are what really got him, nagging injuries that allowed him to continue to play, but not at his highest level. Add it all up, though, he still went 24 homers, 21 stolen bases, uh, which which helped lessen the damage of a 243 average. That's really where Bryce Harper failed us, was with the batting average. Still goes 11. Doug, I'll start with you. Where do you think you're taking Bryce Harper? Is he still a first-rounder, or is he someone that you're looking beyond now after this season? I, I do like him right around there, actually. I think somewhere near the back end of the first round, uh, middle to back end, actually. He's definitely a risk-reward pick. But this is a, is a guy, and, and this is another takeaway, I guess you could say, from last year, his shoulder injuries, especially for hitters and how it saps power. Harper, for the first three weeks of the season, was doing exactly what he had done in 2015, which was just downright scary. I mean, it, that was different. That was a leg up from every other player in baseball. So he has that in him, and he's obviously crazy young. Now, some might blame his style of play or whatever, but I – just can't get away from the upside. I love upside. And, and mm-hmm. to be able to get that kind of upside, this is this is a player that I unabashedly took number one overall this year. And I don't think he's a worse player now. Uh, I, there are no, some I other guys either. who kind of moved up. So maybe he gets bumped to the middle of the first round. But I still think he's amazing. And the shoulder injury he incurred, hopefully he's over that completely. Uh, you know, cross fingers. But you always have to when it comes to health. Yeah, I, I, I share your outlook here on Harper. And Sammy, I'll get to you in just a moment. Um, I think one of the things, I think he's actually tempered his play a little bit because that was a concern before the big breakout MVP season was that is he going to keep running into too many walls to stay healthy for that full season? And I think that he has kind of turned that around. I don't think we saw a whole lot of that just free-for-all sort of play. And yet he still got nicked because that's not the only way that you can get hurt. And again, it was nagging injuries. I believe there was a shoulder and there was also rumors of a neck. It was a lot of hush-hush stuff. We didn't get a lot of reports on this is what's bothering Harper. I don't know if it was something where he didn't want to make excuses because for all the heat that he gets for his personality, I actually don't think much of it is true. I think he is a total team player. I don't think he's out there for himself. If he played up the persona that some people project upon him, he would have been out after a hundred games saying he can't, he can't answer the post or answer the call. And in fact, he made it uh, through 147 games was still a plus player. He just was obviously nowhere near the top overall player, which as you said, Doug, is, is, is where he was drafted in some instances and definitely top three in just about every draft. Sammy, where do you have Bryce Harper now? What's your reaction to his 2016? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on board with you guys in the sense that I felt that Harper was kind of the clear number two pick last year. Um, I had Trout just above him, but you know the, the shoulder injury really sapped him. And we still saw him, as you said, go 2020. More importantly, we still saw his plate discipline really intact, right? 108 walks versus 117 strikeouts. For a guy that's 24 years old and has already shown that he can have both a 40 homer season and a 20 steal season, for me, it's it's different than taking a guy like Correa in the first round last year because he really hadn't shown yet that he was worthy or capable of being the top player in fantasy. I think Bryce Harper has. So 
obviously you can temper him a little bit and not put him in the top three. But for me, I'm probably taking him right in that seven, eight, nine range in the first round. Yeah, I think that that's where he has to go. I think a lot of folks are on board with that. I know there will be some that got burnt and they'll quit Harper. And I really, really, really believe that that's a mistake. So be careful, folks. I think you should still consider him at the back end of the first round. Bryce Harper still has best player in the league upside, especially if you kind of take what he was able to do in 2015 and add the fact that he ran this year um, part choice for sure, but also Davey Lopes, Dusty Baker came in, turned the wheels on for that team a little bit more. They're not going anywhere. So even if he gets back to where he was in 2015, but does so with, you know, 14 stolen bases, I know it's only eight different than what he had in 2015. That's those eight are, are, you know, a good handful of dollars that would make him the best player in the league from a fantasy standpoint. So don't sleep on Harper for sure. Well, and Next, Paul, Paul, I sorry to interrupt you, but I also no, no, think that's ahead. a really good point that you made that it's not just the player's choice whether to run, right? It's an organizational choice. Are we going to be a running team or aren't we? And mm-hmm. I think that Washington has shown that that's what they want to do. And, uh, uh, agreed. Got- I think that's a really good point too. Just to also chime in, I, I almost broke in <laughs> as well during that part because that's an excellent point. It's definitely Anthony not just Rendon. the player's choice. We saw it with Anthony Rendon getting back on track with running as well, too. So, you know, that's an organization that is willing to run, and it will play a role with this next guy, a teammate of Bryce Harper, who's really, really made an impact in these early drafts that I've been doing. Trey Turner went 16th overall, top pick of the second round to a guy who took Edwin Encarnacion. So he went with the big power established veteran and then the up and coming young stud at shortstop uh, who can kind of do a bit of everything. This reminds me a little bit of the Francisco Lindor situation where Trey Turner came up looking like a speed only maybe speed first for sure, but maybe like a speed only defensive guy. Let's see what he can actually do. You know, he put up some really good uh, batting average numbers in the minors. Doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to translate to the majors and boom, all of it came together, including 13 home runs. He only hit 19 home runs in 1192 minor league plate appearances. So to hit 13 in 324 this year was pretty incredible. You know, we talk about what Gary Sanchez did in his 53 games and it was extraordinary for sure. But I think somebody like Trey Turner ripping the ball the way he did was particularly impressive. He did so with 33 stolen bases at 342 average as well. It's hard not to get behind this guy in terms of what he's been able to do, Trey Turner, in such a short period of time. But he's going to be a 24-year-old going into his first full season. The league is damn well going to adjust to him. It's going to be a matter of what those adjustments are and if he adjusts back. Sammy, I'll start with you on this one. Where do you view Trey Turner on the 2017 landscape after such an amazing rookie season? You know, my my first thought when I saw him go at the swing in the first round is, God, that's really, really high, right? This is a guy, again, whose who's minor league stats, as you noted, you know, aren't quite in line with what he did in half a season last year. And there's a couple of red flags. Number one, he had a 388 BABIP, which is way too high to be sustainable. Maybe he can pull off a 340, 350, but 390-ish, way too mm-hmm. high. And then the other thing is his walk rate was very, very low, only 4.3%. But when you kind of dig a little deeper into it and you're looking at just a 5x5 kind of roto style, I feel like even if he plays a full season and his power is cut in half, you have a 10 to homer, I'm sorry, a 10 to 15 homer guy who can steal 40 bases, who's eligible in the outfield and second base. He's a guy that walked about 10% of the time in the minors, so you figure he'll get a little better in that regard. And I think when you're just looking at the sheer stats, this is absolutely a guy. When I'm talking about getting your speed early, 
if I can get it at second base and somebody not like D Gordon, somebody that I believe can give me, you know, 10 to 15 homers, I feel like that is a, a late first, early second kind of pick, depending on how big the league is. Yeah, I think there's a situation where if Trey Turner, quote unquote, only does the same homer and stolen base numbers that he did this past year, 13 homers, 33 stolen bases in a full season, uh, bring the average down to, let's say, like 290, which is still very good down from that 342. It balances out, you know, BABIP comes down. So 290, 13, 33 with 80 um uh, we'll, we'll say 90 runs. He'll be at the top. That's a good lineup. We'll say 90 plus runs and 60 plus RBIs. I think even quote unquote, only that might be worth uh, the 16th pick off the board. He's a really, really interesting player. Doug, what do you think about Trey Turner? Well, it's, it's conflicting because I love Trey Turner. I, in fact, he reminds me a lot of how I felt about Anthony Rendon two seasons ago, uh, except that he's also got speed. But it was especially from a daily standpoint, I mean, every single day it felt like he was getting multiple hits and he was doing something impactful. It was, it, this wasn't just, you know, a week long fluke or a month long fluke. I mean, if the league was adjusting, they were doing a shitty job. And uh, <laughs> he has legit power beyond the home runs. I mean, the guy is so stinking fast. He had eight triples uh, this last year in the 73 games, he had a, a 225 isolated power. That's ridiculous. That's a big-time power hitter, ISO. And as you guys have noted, he didn't have that in minors. No, I don't think he's going to hit 342 again, obviously. And the power, we just sort of assume will regress, but it might just be development. To be totally honest, I have no idea how to value this guy. I think in a keeper league or a dynasty league, I would have him way up there. But in a single-year league, given what I was saying before about steals, and the fact that in the first couple of rounds, I need someone I can trust. I, I, I'm afraid I'm not going to end up with him anywhere this year because he probably deserves to go in the second round, but I won't do it. Curious on this one. And I, I don't know how much it, it changes your outlook at all. Six of the 13 homers came against the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. Uh, does that, does that alter y'all's, y'all's view on him that much? Obviously, the Braves aren't going anywhere. But I think it's reasonable to expect them to get better uh, than what they had last year. It's a team that's that's at least inching forward, and they played a good second half last year. Now, he did it against them in the second half. It was their offense that was rising up more. But I think we're going to start to see a lot of those pitchers that they have in their minor leagues start to come up if Mike Fulton-Nevich starts to develop. Uh, you got a Matt Whistler out there who I, I, I like a little bit. I think they have some some pieces in their pitching that could maybe make them less of a punching bag. Does the fact that nearly half of his home runs for Trey Turner came against one team, does that uh, change anything for you, Sammy, first? No, no, not at all. I mean, I'm not I'm not a big like batter versus team guy or even a big mm-hmm. batter versus pitcher guy. Um, so for me, I mean, I'm just trying to project the player moving forward. And the stats that you kind of kind of reeled off were in my mind pretty conservative i you know, like i know this guy's only done it for half a season but that feels reasonable and conservative and even in that sense he's still a first or second round pick secondly doug i love it when we disagree because so many times <laughs> we're on the same page i think that's fantastic and third paul i know i mentioned this on the last episode of the sleeper in the bus but saturday morning in arizona when i showed up in my will myers jersey <laughs> And and we're eating breakfast and you just rolled up and you're like, hey, that is an awesome tray. 
<laughs> that was that was probably the sickest burn I've incurred like the entire year. So so thank you for that. You're welcome. I hit you with a hell of a roast there. Uh, for those that don't know, Sammy's a San Diego Padres fan and obviously lamenting the fact that, that Trey Turner and Joe Ross were right there. Uh, they had him. And I love Will Myers, but man, you, you, you give back Will Myers a hundred out of a hundred times to get those two back. Frankly, uh, at least they have Will Myers. I think Tampa Bay is really the team that's on the outside looking in of that, of that three team deal there because they've got Steven Souza Jr. to show for it. Uh, Doug, quickly finishing up on Trey Turner. Does the, does the Atlanta thing, uh, register for you at all? Or is that just kind of a, a, a quirk of his stats? The fact that six of his 13 homers came against them? Well, the, the fact that half of them came against the Braves, not necessarily, but why you said that, and while Sam was talking, I was I went ahead and checked out his home run log and realized he's hit all of his homers off of junk. I mean, he does have oh. one off Smarja in his career, and he has one off Wei and Chen. But beyond that, most of these guys, geez, uh, I mean, we're talking about board, you know fifth starters, board, borderline relievers, guys like Austin Bryce and Frank Herman and Chad Bettis and Ryan Weber and Zach Godley and I don't Robert know if those are all real players. I, I, I mean, think some of those it, are made up. It's exactly it's ridiculous, and I'm not saying that that necessarily necessarily means anything. But for a guy that I'm already a little bit expecting some regression on the, on the power mm-hmm. to see that they were all off of junk ball pitchers i mean granted he'll face him again this upcoming season but sure i it, that that does take a little bit more shine off him but again i, I was already the guy who wasn't going to get him so all right let's move on to the next guy and i think he might even be a little bit more interesting to folks than, than trey turner i think there is uh doug i think your 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 reasoning is well founded but by and large you're not going to get Turner in a draft much later than I'd say like the 20th to 23rd pick, like in that range. So a little bit in the middle of the second round, I think is about the latest you're going to get him. This next guy, I'm very interested to kind of follow his trajectory. Gary Sanchez was a guy. He was the first catcher taken off the board. Granted, it's by a very diehard Yankees fan, Roy Erickson, a guy who goes out to the conference every single year. He is your, you know, and I don't say this derogatorily or anything. He's your stereotypical New Yorker in terms of he's got the full-on accent. He's going to tell you how how great his Yankees are. He knows his stuff for sure. Like he he plays fantasy baseball. He knows he knows what he's talking about. But he definitely leans toward his boys, and so I think that was more of a statement pick than maybe something that he one million percent believes. I don't know that he fully fully believes that Buster Posey is should be second to Gary Sanchez in terms of catchers but that was his only chance to get Gary Sanchez and I think he realized I think part of draft position you have to realize you have to look at things and say yeah maybe I wouldn't take this guy as the 34th pick but when your next pick is the 48th or whatever it is you might not get that chance so this is your last chance to get him I think there has to be some of that calculus in there it's too high for me, Doug. Where do you where do you come out on a Gary Sanchez pick in the uh, early third round? I think Sanchez is really interesting for one major reason, and that being that the catcher position is a complete wasteland this season. And catcher's but, a wasteland. Is that what you said? You cut out just a, a sorry, touch a there. complete wasteland. Yeah, th- yeah. there's there, there's nothing that you like from the catcher position. I mean, even someone like Buster Posey, that's a guy who hit 288 last year with 14 bombs and. 82 runs, 80 ribbies. I mean, that's not that's not an impact player at all. That's a guy. It's better than every other than some other catchers. But well, I can't and, even say and we other. lost. 
we lost one of the biggest breakouts at catcher when uh, Wilson Ramos busted up his leg. He's not going to play a full season. So even at one of the best additions to the pool, somebody that I think you could have trusted. I, I do like Wilson Ramos. I think he finally put some things together. Boom, busts up his knee. And now he's going to miss time. And so I, I agree with you. I just got done with a 12-team mock for, with the CBS folks. And I punted on catchers so hard because they were just they took all the good ones. And then I was like, it, it is a barren wasteland. I fully agree with you there. So how much does that elevate a Sanchez? Well, to me, it elevates a Sanchez because he could take a step. I expect an obvious step back from last year. But he can take two steps back and probably still pop 30 bombs over a full season and mm-hmm. a 30 homer catcher doesn't really exist otherwise. So uh, I see him as a fourth rounder, early to mid fourth rounder in a 15 teamer. And so I don't think that pick was too outlandish at all. I, I, and that's exactly to my point. Because when it happened, I was like, ah, there's Roy doing his thing. But then as I backed away and I, I analyzed the draft, that's exactly the point I was making because that was his last chance. He doesn't then pick again till the late fourth round. And you'd best believe that even if somebody took Posey and Lucroy ahead, it would have encouraged some, it would have brought Sanchez out. Sanchez was not getting back to Roy with his fourth pick. And, and when you frame it like that, I, I can get it. Uh, Sammy, what do you think about Gary Sanchez next year? Well, there's a lot of things that I like about Sanchez, right? Obviously, he smashed like Negan on The Walking Dead. He had a 40% homer to fly ball ratio last year. <laughs> That's 40. so nasty. That's so dumb. Completely out of hand, completely out of control, completely unsustainable, right? Um, you know, in the minor leagues, he had a 460 slugging in his career. Obviously, this is a young guy, so we don't you know, just say, oh, he's going to revert back to that. Players develop and they get better. And one thing that I really do like about Gary Sanchez is that he had the eighth highest average exit velocity on fly balls of anybody in the majors last year, 97.8 miles an hour. So, well, yeah, not bad, right? We do really expect that, uh, that home run to fly ball ratio to take a step back. But at the end of the day, this is clearly a guy with talent. It's clearly a guy with a lot of power. How do I evaluate him Next year, there are some things I'm a little bit afraid of. One is that regression. Number two, he has a big hole. If you look at his heat maps, and this isn't like that, you know, crazy for a lot of players. It happens, but he has a big hole low and away. And I don't think he really played enough games for the league to adjust back to him. And so I think there's a great chance that next year that can happen. You know, if I'm just projecting him off the top of my head, I feel like he's, you know, maybe a 275 hitter with 25 homers, 75 RBIs, something like that. I think that's good, but I, it's more of a mid-round pick to me, and probably he's going to go a lot higher in drafts than I'm comfortable taking, so I'm probably off Sanchez this year. Okay. I, I think his value is something that uh, will, will be a major point of every draft, and I think you'll get into some drafts where somebody's really aggressive and maybe does uh, takes him in like the second round. We saw that last year with like a Kyle Schwarber. There was a lot of buzz on him. It's going to be different. Sanchez doesn't have that same sort of thing where I think Schwarber was elevated because his off days were expected to be, or, or he, his off, he was going to play catcher very sparingly. He was supposed to be a full time outfielder with catcher eligibility. Sanchez is a little different. Obviously, he's going to be the full time catcher, but I think his off days could actually be at first or DH, and so he's not going to have too many true off days, which should certainly help. But uh, I, I like Doug's range. I think uh, that early fourth is probably where I'm most comfortable, assuming I even venture uh, into the catcher pool that early, which is very unlikely.
All right, yeah, our last guy here before point. we go on to uh, something else, Javier Baez. Uh, is another guy that I think is going to be all over the map. That you're going to have folks saying, nope, not going to take him still. Others saying, yes, this is a must-get. I have to get Javier Baez. I think the playoffs added, uh, you know, improved his stock. Right For right or wrong, I think that there are certain play- players that showcase throughout the playoffs that their fantasy stock then rises whether right or wrong. And you look at the season that he had last year, 14 homers, 12 stolen bases, hit a quality 273, brought the strikeouts to a, a palatable 24%. That's because he was so high that anything in the 20s uh, was palatable for him. The standout defense, I think, is really what he did this this playoff that that earned him attention. But Again, for whatever reason, that's I think that's going to translate in fantasy and boost his value. He went with the first pick in the seventh round of this draft. I don't know 100% how I feel about it, except for the fact that Matt Modica from CTM Baseball, uh, and that's at CTM Baseball on Twitter, he made the pick. And I really respect a lot of what he does. So it has me taking a second look at it. You know, you got to be mindful of who's picking. And and that certainly changes the outlook on picks for me. You know, if it's somebody who's I don't necessarily align with and they make a pick, I say, okay, well, I I don't necessarily value that pick the same way he does. Matt and I come out uh, similarly on a lot of different things. So to see him take Baez there is interesting to me. I don't know what to expect from him this season. Sammy, where do you stand on a 24-year-old Javier Baez who's eyeing what should hopefully be his first 500-plus plate appearance season? Well, first off, this is a really good podcast for Matt. He got his Twitter handle out there, and he got called sharp by Paul Spohr. So <laughs> c- congratulations, Matt. Um, <laughs> we, we hung out a lot in Arizona. Great guy as well. Um, as far as bias goes, I mean, you know, if we got points for slick tags and big smiles and good sportsmanship, he would be a first-round pick, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Great, un- dude. Un- like, unfortunately... He had a 3.3% walk rate against that 24% strikeout rate. While I do really like the gains in terms of what he did with the strikeouts, it's still he's still got a lot of work to do in terms of plate discipline. We saw him get a lot of advantage taken of him in the World Series. But yeah, especially the World Series. It, he went right back to that guy we saw back in 2014 who was just flailing and everything. You could tell he really wanted to make an impact on the World Series. And, you know, you guys, we hear it all the time, you know, the, the, the harder you try for a home run or some big hit, the less likely you are to get it. And that really played out for him in the World Series when he had 13 strikeouts uh, in the seven games. First off, he struck out at least once in every one of the games, and he had multiple strikeouts in five of the seven. So it was a, a rough finish after a good LDS and LCS for Javier Baez. Go ahead, Sammy. Yeah. And, and you know, what's crazy, Paul, is you were talking about his fantasy value changing. I think he was like two rounds higher after the LCS and then it dropped him two rounds in the World Series. You know? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, like so he, he was I, he was probably people ready to take him, you know, fifth, sixth round. And then they're like, OK, wait a minute. There's the dose of reality I needed. There's the Javier Baez. And we will see streaks like that from him. I don't think he's not a finished player. He's going to be 24 next year. So we will still see streaks like the World Series for 7, 10, 15 games at a time where he's flailing at everything and has to get himself centered again. And I think that that's going to eat into his batting average capability. And of course, it, you know, when you're just striking out and going back to the, uh, going back to the bench, it's going to cut into your ability to put up counting numbers. So I, I think it was a healthy dose of reality. You make a great point there. Doug, what do you think about Javier Baez, and and where do you think you're taking him? 
Well, you know, I th- I think he has bigger upside than maybe he's getting credit for in general. I mean, I've been a big fan of his for a couple of years, kind of waiting for that power to show up and realizing that he could play all over the diamond. And the fact that he he walked as little as he did last year, he lowered the strikeout rate, or at least brought it within a reasonable line, still hit two seventy three, which these days ain't bad. Uh, and I don't know. This is a guy that I agree has a lot of holes in his game. Personally, I don't like to pay for... Just pure raw upside if there's nothing behind it. And right now, Baez hasn't shown me enough that okay. I would take. Like, I, I think he was overdrafted in this one. I think it was first pick of the seventh round. That's too high for me. Um, I do like his the fact that he can qualify at just about anywhere in the infield. I think he's a perfect guy to take as your util or, or something like that. But I'm not counting on him as one of my top, say, eight, even eight bats or something like that. Now, fast forward a year and he could be an easy top four four rounds you know that type of player but certainly that to me there's just so much risk there i i see a lot to be excited about and if i was a dynasty league guy i would i would be stoked on having javier baez but i i think he's getting a lot of credit for his defense i think the playoffs are are just this microcosm of what happens with small sample size and how people get overly excited and they let the intelligence that he showed on defense impact how clueless he can look at times at the plate so i think in time it'll all it'll come around but i do think it'll take time so for me he's you know double digit round for you yeah double digits definitely okay uh sammy i didn't get an actual round area for you on javier Baez, so let's go ahead and cap javier Baez with with your thoughts on, on a round area that you'd like to take him yeah i i do think i'm a little higher on him than doug just in the sense that there's significant downside with the skills and then also if he goes into a severe slump, the, the Cubs are so deep that he could get benched for a little while, right? That's true, but that's where the defense circles back around and becomes another positive. I Absolutely. think that, that that gives him a measure of guaranteed playing time. Doug mentioned something that I hadn't brought up. Third base, second base, shortstop eligibility. I do like that. I don't know how Huge. to put a dollar value or a round value on that, but I know me personally, I value it heavily. I no, like and, that. And especially, especially in deep leagues like this, I think it's even more important. Yes, because then, you know, it's 50 team, a 50 round draft and hold. We don't get any pickups this year. You're going to run into injuries and you have to be able to have flexibility to use the, your best bench player whenever you can. And so a Baez, obviously having three spots of eligibility plus the corner and, and, uh, and middle will certainly help you there. So, yeah. so, so you're comfortable me, so with this seventh round? You, yeah, just giving you a, a, a round value, I'd say eighth round, ninth round, somewhere in there. I feel like okay. you can reasonably project him for like, 270 15 15 in that range with a lot of upside and a lot of downside mixed in i think that that's fair guys let's talk about another uh playoff factor and i want to see how you think it might carry over uh we saw a lot of start uh, relief pitcher usage changes this year and it I don't know if it was 100% because of the Zach Britton thing, but it followed the Zach Britton debacle in the in the wild card game. And so it, that's getting a lot of credit for kind of changing the way that managers deployed their relievers. And we saw a lot more liberal usage of these guys. I'm curious if you think it's going to carry over at all into the 2017 regular season. It certainly can't be at the same level. I will grant that off the top. There's no way. First off, you just you can't use your guys 
every day or even necessarily every other day throughout the entire year and get them, you know, uh, 81 games for all of your best relievers only. You have to get through 162 games. But are we going to see more of closers coming in at the situation where they can be best deployed as opposed to saving them for that stupid save? Doug, let's start with you. How do you think reliever usage in the playoffs will impact our 2017 season, uh, if at all? I think we're going to see a, a wide disparity organization to organization and how they're using them. What I'm really excited to see and, and what we saw a lot of in this postseason was seeing guys like Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman going multiple innings. And I've been saying this for years, but I, I often get frustrated that pitchers are basically put into one to, in one of two buckets, either the 15 to 25 pitch bucket or the 100 pitch bucket. And there's not mm-hmm. much in between when reality says that there's probably guys who are most effective with 40 or with 60 or with, with 80. And so someone like Andrew Miller, he can probably withstand a greater workload. No, I don't think that means he pitches every single game. They have a lead or just like you were saying, that's obviously not sustainable during a season, but he, maybe he can go longer stints. Maybe he can pitch a little bit more often. Maybe, you know, the team's, the more flexible they are, the more options available to them, the more they're going to get out of their best players. And uh, an organization like Cleveland yeah. that gets it, we could see that from someone like an Andrew Miller. We could see him coming in the seventh. We could see regular five-out outings from him. And that would be excellent. That would definitely be a step in the right direction. I think getting them getting longer stints out of these good guys and pushing their innings a little bit higher, not necessarily their appearances, but their innings, I think is the right move. And I, I really hope we do see that, even if it comes at the cost of some saves, because honestly, I will take, you know, I will take Andrew Miller pitching 85, 90 innings, which would be 10 to 15 more than he had this year over you know a handful of saves i'll I'll figure out the saves piece as the season goes along because saves are something that you kind of manage you have to manage all year anyway i would rather have him coming in in those high leverage situations and pitching longer stints because frankly yeah i might miss some saves but i'll get some more wins And, and fantasy wins still matter he had 10 wins to go with his 12 saves did andrew miller sammy how do you feel about uh, what we just saw in the playoffs and how reliever usage might be affected in the 2017 season yeah i think i'm kind of on board with both of you guys in the sense that i think we'll see some changes but I think it's going to come along slower than people think. There's not just Mm -hmm. going to be this full wave and a full new way of thinking around the major leagues. You'll have some managers that do it a little bit, some that don't change at all. Because like you were talking about, there were such unique circumstances happening. Obviously, the playoffs itself are a unique circumstance. But also, you know, Chicago was renting Aroldis Chapman and they didn't mind burning him out. Cleveland had Cody Allen at the back of that bullpen, which really allowed them to use Mm -hmm. Miller in the way that they did, even Chapman wasn't used the same way Miller was, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are teams, Absolutely. Yeah, there are just so few teams that are going to be able to do this. I still think we're going to see, for the most part, things the way they were, changing slightly as the years go on. But as it directly relates to the save stat next year, I'm not really going to evaluate any differently, and we'll just kind of go from there. Yep, I, I, I think that that's a uh, that's completely fair outlook there. It Don't don't look for sweeping changes just yet. I think Doug really hit the nail on the head right out of the gate there and say it's organization to organization. And you got to see if they have, if there's some team that only has like their one Andrew Miller, their one super stud. And then, and then there's a big drop off to the next guys. 
they're probably still going to lean on that ninth inning. If there's a team with, you know, three, four guys like KC, they can kind of mix it up. Uh, so yeah, don't go too crazy thinking that everything's just going to be flipped on its head saves wise, but hopefully we get some more innings out of our very best pitchers instead of just limiting them to 60, 70 innings. All right, guys, I I got a little bit of a task for you here uh, that I gave you ahead of time. So hopefully you got these answers. We're going to look at some, some, you know, picks that you love, picks that you, you weren't so fond of. We don't have to say hated. Um, you know, everyone makes picks for different reasons. We're not out here to blast anybody, but there's picks that we just flat out don't agree with. It's not questioning the, the, the person who made it. It's just that we don't either have the same outlook on the player or we just wouldn't have done it at that moment. So, uh, we're going to look after the fifth round because I think that middle round rounds of drafts are really where where they're won and lost. Yeah, if you have a bust first round pick, it, it can certainly hurt you. But even that I don't think is a is a death knell on your season. I, I routinely rail against folks who, you know, oh, this this player who didn't like Bryce Harper. I know he hit 243, but if you didn't win, it wasn't just because of him. You, you had other things go wrong. One player we've learned in real life baseball doesn't uh, completely damage a, a, a team's outlook. It same thing happens for fantasy baseball. You had to have that, more right. than the one Cubs, thing. Happen. The Cubs won the World Series even with Jason Hayward on the team. Exactly. And Cleveland made it to the World Series even without Carlos Carrasco and for the most part Danny Salazar on the team. So your fate is, does not hinge on one player, but I think where you really win is is getting a first round value or, or an early round value out of your mid and late guys. So, uh, Sammy, I'm going to start with you with your first pick that you loved. You got two two for love, two for hate, and we'll just go back and forth here uh, between you and Doug. Well, who's the first pick that you loved uh, after the fifth round? Okay, well, I'm going to put this guy first before Doug goes because it may have been one of his, and I'd like <laughs> yes. to snake him. You want to steal him? I that, love that's it. right. That's right, Doug. I'm 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 jumping ahead of you, perhaps here. Um, I really liked the Michael Conforto pick in the 22nd round. Nice. And Eno, yeah, I mean Eno gave this great presentation at First Pitch Arizona about exit velocities and barrels and the stuff that th- he threw out in you know about Michael Conforto, how high he is in his barrel percentage, how great his exit velocities are. I think that really kind of belied the actual stats that he put out. And I like him. I mean, there's other young players I like better, like, say, David Dahl, because he's in Colorado. But I think Dahl went in, like, the seventh round. Seventh, yeah. So, I mean, you you had to pay for him, whereas Conforto, many moons later. Yeah. So I'm I'm just I'm just a big fan of Conforto. I feel like he's a post hype sleeper. I think a lot of people will be off him after he had a really rough season, went down to the minors, was up and down. So I really love that as just a flyer pick in the twenty second round. Super money. Doug, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no. Before that, we get to your first love. Only that I almost took as Sammy could have guessed, <laughs> I almost took Conforto myself. He he just barely <laughs> missed my list of two. Uh, it's weird that, that Sammy had an idea that you might be interested. <laughs> it's it's weird that he knows how you think. Yeah, well, he also knows that I took took him in our national league last year, and and I was really excited about him. I told I was telling him during one of our breaks about how I would I would have taken him a swing earlier. <laughs> oh, he, <laughs> so he just he, he just went well. on and on and on, and then we had a major league draft. Uh, I think later that day, and I like bumped Conforto up around just so Doug didn't double take him. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was right there with y'all, by the way. I really, I really liked uh, what we saw out of Conforto in 2015 in terms of his bat to ball skills. This guy's a true hitter. You know, I, I think he's a really, really qualified hitter. Even in the midst of a down season, he still had an 804 OPS against righties. Injuries really got him and he was completely inept in 53 plate appearances against lefties, which I think justifies them going with their platoon. But I actually don't agree with that. I think that they need to give him more reps against lefties or he's never going to get better. And you're going to have a guy who's a straight platoon guy before he even reaches age 25. So I think they need to figure out a way to help him improve against lefties and make it so that they can keep this bat in uh, for 150 games a year because Michael Conforto's really good. Doug, who's your first first love pick out of these uh, uh, five, fifth round and after, or, or after the fifth round, so sixth round and beyond? Uh, for me, my first one is Jose Bautista, who's taken in the 13th round, uh, sixth overall. 13th I just thought that, round. Wow. that timing, I, I just couldn't believe that. And I get it, he's old. He had like 234 last year. I think he turns 36 this next season. But there's New this team, tendency... Perhaps. Uh, among fantasy players that once a guy who's on the wrong side of 30 has a bad season, it suddenly marks the beginning of the end for him. And it's Bingo. beginning of a, of a downward decline. He's going to be terrible and blah, blah, yep. blah. It's like, how many times do we see these guys come back and be fine? Jeez, how old was David Ortiz last year? I, mean, I could not agree more with that point, Doug. It could not be more on point, and and it's a level of, the age. I always talk about the ageism in fantasy baseball. It's 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 a real thing for sure. Now, I I get it to one degree. People don't want to be holding the hot potato, right? When 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 the musical chair stops, they don't want to be the ones holding it when the guy falls off. At the same point, though, they will continue. And I've mentioned this, you know, about wanting the hot new thing. They'll continually take the hot new thing years before he's ready at the hopes of maybe getting that big burst out year. So I, I just don't, why wouldn't you have the same sort of idea that, okay, you could get the bounce back season though. This guy has a proven track record of excellence, Batista specifically, but a lot of these older guys, he has a proven track record as recently as 2015. We don't have to go back and say, remember when he was good three years ago, one year ago, he has an injury excuse that you can, that you can use. And I, I, excuses are loaded, you know, has an injury reasoning behind some of his struggles too, right? The shoulder he played 116 games. I'm not saying that he's automatically that shoulder going to again. Shoulder, shoulder is going to get you. Doug has hampered, uh, you know, has hit on this shoulder, really hurting uh, hitters for years. Doug and I used to do a podcast years ago, and we talk about it. Uh, even though we focus mostly on pitching, we would talk about if there's a shoulder, and even if it wasn't a DL stand, if it was something that's lingering. Oh, he hit his shoulder because he ran into the wall, or he dove for something. You got to start moving off that guy. You got to start an exit plan because that's something that could linger, especially if they continue to play through it. Uh, but I, I just don't know why folks aren't more willing to take a chance on the rebound from a uh, a proven superstar just because of one bad year. And here's the thing: as, as a 13th rounder, isn't the the bomb potential like if he just does what he did in 2016, or maybe is a little bit worse? Isn't that already built into the price? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. I think that's a great call. I like that you guys went on each end of the spectrum, though, in oh. terms of get the comeback player uh, on Conforto, uh, or you know the, the post-hype prospect, I mean, and then the comeback player on Bautista. Um, let's go snake order here then. Doug, give me your second one uh, of a player that you loved. Uh, my second one is actually... Lucas Giolito, which is kind of funny because I, I tend to be one of the lower guys in the totem pole with Giolito, 
uh, just mechanically. He has some stuff to work on, and I'm not big on, you know, you and I talked about this over uh, while we were in in Arizona. My biggest knock against Giolito, a lot of people are, have been saying how the team tried to alter his mechanics. He went back to what they were, and he did a lot better. And to me, that's they, they say it as a good thing, but I don't see it as a good thing. I said as a player that obviously this, this is a team that saw something wrong. He was unable to make the adjustment. That doesn't bode especially well for his ability to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. That said, he was a 23rd round pick. He was the eighth pick of the 23rd round. He's you know this is a round after someone like Jose De, De Leon, and I like De Leon just fine. But once again, it's the upside, upside, upside. Pitchers really change a ton season to season, especially young pitchers, developing chip pitchers, especially guys coming off of surgery. And I get it. Giolito didn't show us the velocity last year that he we were kind of promised, and the breaking ball was still bomb. It was insane. But there's so much there. I just I love that pick there. I, I just think that especially I thought people jumping on the Giolito train for this season were too early, but next year was the year, him and Urias. I think that I think that's a great point. And when you consider that he was being taken in some teens rounds, Giolito was last year, and now he falls to the twenty third round. My goodness, what an easy pick to go ahead and say let's let's take the gamble here because even if he's still not ready, there's no real cost. Sammy, what do you think of Giolito in the twenty third before we get to your second pick? You know, forget Giolito. I am on such hard monkey tilt right now because <laughs> Jose Batista was my guy. And, <laughs> yes. and, 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 you I, and I was going to do him. Batista first, and then I'm like, no, Doug will go with Conforto. I'll say Conforto first. Oh, that's too good. That's too good. Oh. I love it. And, and for the last three minutes, I've just been over here like tilting and stewing and like looking up <laughs> the draft and stats. Doug and and I just had to win. let it out. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Just amazing. Mo- I mean, Batista went after too. like Hunter Pence and Jay Bruce and CJ Crone. I mean, uh, just tremendous value. And Doug, you're just way too sharp for me as usual. Um, <laughs> the, the guy I'm actually going to flop to. Oh, geez. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm still tilted. I might have to leave the podcast. <laughs> I love it. It's, that's really funny. <laughs> The the guy I will choose instead is a guy that I asked you you guys about Paul uh, when we did the live draft is uh, or the live podcast is Jake Lamb. I love Jake Rake Lamb. Lamb. This, yeah, Jake Rake Lamb. Right. I just I just think this guy's fantastic. He hit twenty nine homers with ninety one RBIs last year. He slugged over six hundred in the first half and really fell off in the second half. He also had some injury issues, but this is also a dude going into his prime. He's 26 years old. He's in a great hitter's park. He was a, his batting average was pretty low last year at 249, but he's also a dude who hit 321 in his minor league career. So do I think he's a 321 hitter? No, but can he hit 270, 280 plus in the majors? I think he can with a little bit of development. So he was actually, I think, team seven's pick. Uh, the round before Jose Batista. So I think uh, whoever team seven was did an awesome, awesome job grabbing both. Sorry, team six uh, did a great job grabbing both of those guys in the 12th and 13th. It's really interesting on lamb. When you look at it, this is another one where, where things drastically changed in season. If you had kind of done a, 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 a stock meter uh, of lamb, 
Through his first 104 games, arbitrary for sure. There's the the end point. I just kind of picked his last great game in August before he kind of started to fall off. But you look at it, 404 plate appearances, 24 homers, 72 ribbies, 287 average, and 57 runs. Uh, absolutely excellent. 955 OPS. That's through his hundred first 104 games. Well, then he really sputtered into the finish line. Those final uh, 47 games covering 190 plate appearances, he had a 592 OPS. So it really brought down the numbers to good, not great. He went from obscene to, hey, that was a pretty good season for a 25-year-old in his first full season. I think people are losing sight of, of the upside here by getting him in the 12th round. I think the final two months... I think it cost him five rounds. And hey, I'm not complaining because that is benefit for those of us that are in on him. And you did a baseball extract on him on y'all's podcast, Sammy, where you broke him down and, and, and covered some of the changes that he made. He has to adjust back again a little bit. They got him out, out there swinging a lot in those final two months. And maybe he fell back into some old patterns. But he showed me four months of the excellent lamb and then two months of kind of the fall off might have, and some of it might've just been fatigue, right? When you're fatigued, what do you do? you you rely on your muscle memory, what you already know, as opposed to maybe some of the stuff that you've learned this year. So the simple yeah, and, fact and, and is Paul, Paul, sorry. It, it was, no, no, it was also fine. a little bit, he, he went on the disabled list and missed some games with a stress reaction in his foot. And I feel like that can be very, very damaging for hitters when they have lower body injuries, right? Mm-hmm. All of your power comes from your base and your hips and your legs and when you have an injury there where you're not as strong, that's really going to bear out in the numbers. And I, I, anything in the base is concerning, too. I think shoulder, Doug talks about. Base, you really got to be careful with a knee, a foot, a leg, that sort of stuff for a power guy. You also have to really, really be careful. Obviously, injuries in general, you just have to be careful with. But I think certain ones really sap power. And so you got to be careful. 12th round, if he is a double-digit round pick throughout draft season, I am so on board with that. I think that some of the folks that are maybe a little bit down on Lamb are really forgetting what he did again for four months of the season. Doug, what'd you think of Ray Lamb? Uh, all I know is I'm suddenly hungry for Lamb Shanks. Bring it on. What's that? I'm hungry for Lamb Shanks. Bring it on. I want it. I want more. Even even if it was falling off the rack a little bit there at the end, no problem. Yep. I, yep. I, I'm, a, I, I'm a fan. I like him. But like you said, uh, Sammy broke him down for extract on our on the Baseball Hogs podcast. And uh, yes, there were some adjustments made against him, but also he showed that ability to make some adjustments. And that's the key. I mean, we say it all the time how the ability to make adjustments, whether you're a pitcher or you're a hitter, the league is going to figure you out. And you mm-hmm. have to be able to make some changes. And to see him make those changes was a very encouraging sign yeah i completely agree so this sounds like a player that the three of us are going to be battling uh for in the baseball holics auction um good, oh, good he's, to he's know. gonna go good for to like know. 38 bucks <laughs> good to know Let, let's let's get a little bit negative here let's we'll close it out talking a little bit of negativity just again not slamming anybody's thought process or anything just that we didn't necessarily like these picks um, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with calling out picks that, hey, we just don't agree with. Doesn't mean we're right. You know, there's uh, certainly there are guys last year where I probably said, that's a terrible pick, and it ended up being great. The person drafting them had a thought process that didn't marry with mine. So, again, enough disclaimers. Let's get negative. Doug, who's the first pick that, that you just were not so fond of uh, sixth round or later in the draft? 
Uh, well, this is from the same guy who took Gary Sanchez, and I already said I thought that was okay. Uh, but he took Byron Buxton in the sixth round. So it was mm-hmm. the 12th pick of the sixth round. And believe me, I see the upside, and I probably don't even need to explain the reasons why that felt like an overdraft. I mean, just look at some of the bats around him. I mean, uh, not that Kipnis is great shakes. Oh, wow, Baez is right there. Well, I thought that was an overdraft, too. <laughs> well, just Dahl, just the next two outfielders off the board, David Dahl and Justin Upton. And yeah. then two rounds later, Steven Piscotty. And I understand that Buxton offers something different, particularly with the speed uh, over those guys. You know, Upton runs a, a smidge, and I think Dahl will run a smidge. But I don't care. Like, I would rather all three of those guys pretty easily over Buxton, who did it, who's, you know, repumped his value based on one month and generally regarded as the easiest easiest month to do some stuff, too. Yeah. Which was September, for those that don't know. Yeah, against some, some softer pitching. And, and again, I, this guy could be the limit with this guy, but I got to see it a little bit first. The six rounds is a little bit too early for my comfort zone. Yep, I, I think that that's completely fair. Sammy, how do you how do you feel about Byron Buxton? We finally saw a glimpse at the major league level. That's encouraging because this was a guy I was really starting to distance myself from. And uh, I remember Eno wrote a piece that kind of compared him to like a Cameron Mabin. And that really started to ring true as a guy who's like, okay, he's going to be around for a decade. He's not going to bust out of baseball, but he's never going to kind of reach the heights that we expected. Back, we backed away from that a little bit. We started to see finally a glimpse um, and I think the, the Maven one is particularly instrumental because of the injuries that have been associated with Buxton. But Sammy, how do you feel about Buxton going into next year? Uh, I mean, it, so Doug has snaked me again here. Um, this one, <laughs> I mean, this one was a cookie, but <laughs> I hate you so much, Doug. Um, <laughs> it, this this pick is fully egregious, just completely egregious. Uh, Buxton struck out 35.6% of the time last year. He ended with a Whoa. 284 on base percentage. He's kind of stuck at the bottom of the order until he breaks out, which really hurts his counting stats. You know, I mean, I might not have taken him in the 16th round, let alone the sixth. I think that's fair. Sammy, let's get the first uh, first negative on your side. Well, I had to come up with somebody new on the fly yet again. Um, thanks a lot Doug, for you're that. You're roasting him, man. You're, yeah. you're killing him. I love it. <laughs> just, just slaying me. He does this in fantasy drafts a lot too. It's very, very tilting. I, I believe it. I believe it. If I was in three <laughs> or four leagues with y'all, I don't know what I would do. It's bad enough to be in an auction where you guys can bid me up on guys you know I love, or just outright take them from me. That was that was actually the best part of uh, my fantasy season last year is the Baseball Holics Anonymous auction where I think everybody because you're so public and all your stuff is just. So out there, everybody in the league knew who you were on and just like kind of roasted you. They 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 loved it. And and it showed because I was I had a horrible season. I did not defend the crown at all. I got yeah, you were coming off the championship suit. They were also aiming for you. They, I went they, I went wait. first to last. I went Red Sox style there after the after their World Series win. They were I think they had the last place season. I did that, but I'm gonna be back. I'm coming back. I'm gonna win the league next year. So get ready, folks. Just get ready. All right, go ahead, Sammy. Uh, I have to tell you guys right now, Doug, you know Sid, right? Our buddy. Um, As we're recording this podcast, I just made a trade for Le'Veon Bell in an all-time keeper league, and I gave Uh up so much. Uh, And I made this trade with Sid, and now he's texting me in the middle of the podcast, roasting me for the trade I just made with him. This is so terrible. (laughs) Wait, he made the trade with you, and now he's clowning you? (laughs) Immediately after. That is the ultimate troll move. Thanks for the player you gave me. You're an idiot. Oh, God. Respect. Um, (laughs) 
Ah, okay. So uh, it, at least it feels good to be able to roast somebody else a little bit. Yeah, let's uh, let's channel some of the roastage and put it on somebody else's plate. Let's let's do it. Uh, Eric Hosmer went in the sixth round, and I just do not like Eric Hosmer. I want to get power from first base. And yeah, you know, you look at his his stats last year, and it's like, oh, he hit twenty five homers. He's kind of breaking out. But the reality is. He still had a 433 slugging. He still had a 167 ISO. His metrics. Worse, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the slug was worse than what he did last year. And everybody hit 25 homers. So to your point, yeah, it was his highest ever, but it was like you just got that for showing up. Yeah, that's that's it, man. I just I just don't if I'm drafting a first baseman, especially high, I want a guy who has 30 plus homer upside who really makes a dent in the power categories. I don't think Hosmer's that guy. And the things that I see in his swing in terms of, you know, a high ground ball rate and going the other way a lot, I just don't see a lot of power developing until he makes a major change. I don't see a breakout here. I'd way rather have guys like, you know, Trumbo or Pujols rounds and rounds and rounds later. I think that's fair. Doug, how do you feel about Hosmer? He's a guy that... I, I vacillated on and, and in fact I did my my early run of top 15 first baseman and I originally included him and he, I, I included him he's in he's in that list then I got pushback on um, not including Carlos Santana a guy I've actually really liked in the past and he and he finally went out and had a big year to the point where I uh, agreed I was swayed by the comments to the point where I say Hosmer out, Santana in. So I don't even have him as a top 15 first baseman right now. Where do you stand on Eric Hosmer? I, I feel very similarly. I mean, if you're going to go, it used to be you take Hosmer if you want someone who's underrated in steals and give you a little bit in every category. But the guy maybe, stole. Maybe a big batting average. Yeah, yeah. But the guy maybe. stole five bags last year. The yep. guy had 266 last year. There's so many things not to like here. And, and I, I do think maybe he's getting a little bit more power from just looking at uh, looking at his home run percentage was a career high last year. He's his walks went up, but also his, his strikeouts went up, um, strikeouts went up quite a bit. And so that if he's just becoming a less of what he's good at, that's not a good thing. I know he needed power, but he needed to not give back those other elements. So exactly. he's a player that, yeah, in the sixth round, that feels way too early for him. All right, Doug. Let's uh, let's close it out with with uh, your last your last dislike. My last dislike is Jeff Smarja. He was in the tenth round, fifth pick, tenth round. I think I think we talked about this one a little bit while we were, we were in Arizona. Mm-hmm. There is just, I mean, granted, we're in kind of a glut of pitchers at that point, but I mean, he was taken right next to Garrett Cole, and. Uh- Ahead that of him, right? Because that, that round just drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, that round is going uh, right to left, and so that means that he was taken ahead of Cole, Jake Odorizzi, Rizal Glacius, who may or may not even be a starter. What, what, TBD on that. But then Stephen Matz, Kevin Gaussman, and John Gray, one a guy that you love. Uh, those were all starters that were taken l- just after him in that same tenth round. Yeah, yeah, and I like all all those guys, with the exception of maybe Iglesias, especially in a draft like this where you don't know his role. But pretty much everybody else I like better, and and I like Smarja fine. I I feel like he's someone that I would target. I just wouldn't target him in the tenth round. I, there's guys taken in the eleventh round I like better. Guys taken in the twelfth round I like better. I mean, geez, Felix was taken on the swing in the in the twelfth. I mean, 
I, I would prefer Felix Samarja, even with the warts that Felix has. And and we have we've talked a lot about Samarja, the three of us. Whether it's uh, it, it's been privately on on e- emails, DMs, tweets, whatever, uh, and then on our respective podcasts. I was certainly a guy. First off, I was really bought in on him in 2015, and that completely flopped, obviously. But then I, I saw the potential for the rebound this year, and he and he did. Like, let's give him credit. Okay, he did. He cut his ERA by more than a run from 496 to 381. Part of that uh, was just the sheer fact of moving to AT and T and getting away from US Cellular. You're going to curb your home runs, but it's not like he really curbed them that much. He went from one two to one one homers per nine. So he did cut them, but not even to the level I necessarily thought in a park that. It's so easy to cut home runs. He even yeah. got some of his ground ball rate back, and it's still only cut it by point one. So even with the gains that he, he got back, Jeff Samarja did, they were not to a level that I was really comfortable with enough to say, I'm ready to dive in again. He's going to only end up on a team if I'm in a spot where I'm like, I'm really not interested in anybody else, which is going to be tough because I, you know, I study so many starting pitchers that – I've always got a little inkling on somebody. There's almost always going to be somebody in that range. If he's going to live in this 10 to 13th round range, there's always going to be somebody that I like more. So I have very low chance of ending up with him, but it's going to end up being like a, I don't really have anybody else to take. I'll take Samarja or something like that. I'm no longer pro Samarja as I was each of the last two years in 2015 because I thought he was going to be a total star in 2016 because I just thought that the rebound cost was going to be worth it. He didn't pan out. He's going to be 32 next year. He's not 32 in terms of innings because he started as a reliever and played football, but he's starting to get there. You know, 32 years old, four straight, 200 inning seasons. He's a hoss. He's going to get you the innings, but how good are they going to be? Sammy, what, what do you think of Jeff Samarja at this point? And then we will uh, we'll get your second dislike. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully on board with this one, man. Just way too high. He looks, I mean... He's he, he's had like one good year in his whole career, right? Other than that, he's been fairly yep. mediocre. Why take him as you know your second or third pitcher? I'll go seven rounds later and, and uh, gamble a hundred percent. I know it's a major major gamble, but I'd rather take Garrett Richards, who went in the seventh middle of the seventeenth yeah, yeah, round. I'm with that, and and you know among many others, that's just one that stands out to me. Whose upside I think is is substantial. All right, Sammy, your last pick of dislike. Uh, what are you feeling? Last one. I had to get an ex-Padre in here because so many other ex-Padres <laughs> do so well. Like Are on the high end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anthony Rizzo and Trey Turner just dominating the first round. <laughs> um, I'm going with Matt Kemp. And it's not that I think Kemp is like primed for a really bad year or anything. I just feel like the sixth round is way too high for a guy who – you can get these kind of just empty batting like power stats later, right? Decent average, mm-hmm. meh runs, you know, they're okay, but just, you know, mostly homers and, and RBIs without steals. I feel like you can get guys like Trumbo, you know, Batista, seven rounds later. I like Justin Upton better. I like Jock Peterson a whole lot better. Um, I feel like these are guys oh, who, you know, are basically going to offer you the same thing rounds later. And I just feel like that's way too high. And also, like, I know Kemp has played 150 games, like, three years in a row, something like that. But when you walk around or when you watch him, like, running around, I mean, he looks like he's going to fall apart at any minute, right? He looks like like 42-year-old Vlad Guerrero. Yeah, from his gait. Uh, the, the, just the kind of actions that he has. He does look like he's carrying a little bit more than his 32 years. And that probably comes from playing not just th- full seasons the last three years, but one, two, three, four, 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 
super full seasons in his prime as well, where he was getting 670 plus plate appearances. So, you know, the dude has piled it up. He's, he's approaching 6,000 plate appearances. Matt Kemp has played a hell of a lot of baseball. I'm, um, I'm a little torn on Kemp right now. I was out. Uh, last coming into this past season, I knew he had the big second half finish to uh, re-energize his his base in terms of the folks that were still interested in him. They were ready to go ahead and double down because he had that big second half. Okay, Matt Kemp's going to be all right. We know San Diego's not playing like the uh, the Homer Free Park that it used to. It's actually playing pretty neutral to maybe sometimes offensive, depending on the uh, the time of the year. And so I wasn't necessarily out on him be- just because he was in San Diego, but it was more than what you're talking about, where he just kind of looked like he, even though he's playing, he looks like he's ready to break down at any moment. I don't know. I just, I don't have a good feeling about him. I can't even give you a great number set as to why I don't like him. Uh, You know, and and so I understand those that might say, listen, you're kind of full of hogwash right now because you can't even give me the reason. That's fine. Just me personally, I don't feel great about him. I will say though, I'm a little less down on it than you are maybe not the sixth round for me because there are some guys and you mentioned them uh you mentioned upton and the same guys i mentioned with the buxton pick doll piscotti i'd rather take my shots there but i don't know the next round or or the round after that the eighth i think is when i might start to look at him a little bit i'm kind of interested i will say this too i want to give him some credit and some love he wrote that thing for the players tribune that that he got made fun of a lot for for saying hey he's going to atlanta which you know is not his home he's from oklahoma but that's his hometown team because of tbs that was the team that he could watch in oklahoma and he was really excited to play for that team and he was going to feel re-energized and he certainly looked like that happened 56 games with 12 homers and 855 ops he was a markedly better player so if he continues to have that energy and plays well with them which again i think is a team that they won't be a complete bottom feeder loser team i think they'll be okay um kind of like a 70 something win team which is not good by any stretch but it's not that pitiful awful team i i think matt kemp can be all right but generally speaking i agree with you maybe just not to the same degree dougie what'd you think on matt kemp well wow you guys pretty much said it and then went around the block and said it again. I mean, uh, everything you say, I totally, I, I see what both of you guys are saying when it comes to camp. I mean, I, I think keeping the expectations in line is the key part. I mean, he's going to, he's probably going to mash lefties when he's in the lineup. He, yeah. He's played 150 games three years in a row, but there's no way you can count on that going forward. I mean, even counting on a hundred from this guy is a little bit sketchy, not only because of his injury history, but because of his age and be, because of, the eye test on that one. Those uh, knees so, are shredded too, by the way. Or is it, yeah, or is it I, the hips? What was it that the, the news about the, the I believe it was the hips with him. Arthritic hips. Yeah. So that's the thing. He could be, is that uh, good? Uh, 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 <laughs> he could be one of those guys that, that, that it doesn't have a steady decline. It's more of a, a cliff jump. And that's what I think our, our concern comes from when we're talking about his gait and it looks like he's carrying more years than Matt Kemp has. He could be one of those guys that, oh my God, this is an Albert Bell injury and boom, he's done. That's my concern there. I think you just hit it home nicely there, Doug. Yeah. So yeah, I would just uh, tread with caution. Absolutely. I completely agree. Well, guys, I really want to thank you guys for coming on. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. It was awesome seeing you, Sammy. It's great to finally meet. Yeah. I felt like we've been friends now for, for at least a full year uh, via the league, or two years now via the league and the podcast. But now it's you know great to finally meet, hang out, have you take some of my money in poker. I, I loved that uh, the 
it's kind of funny because I, I knew through through listening to the podcast and just talking with you, I knew that you were a shark. The table didn't. And it's funny when they when they see the new people come in and they don't really know, and I can kind of watch all their reactions. They're like, oh, new guy, instantly assumed to be a scrub, and then you're out here running them fools. And I think the same thing happened two years ago when Doug came out there. Oh, new guy. We, let's just take advantage of the new guy. We're the, we're the establishment here at, at, uh, at the poker table. We can run this kid. And then, uh-oh, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. Now, there are sometimes a guy comes in who's like, nah, I play a home game, you know, once every two months. I'm not, you know, not that great. And their, their play kind of shows it. You two came in as sharks. And I think it really flipped the table on its head a little bit. I know, Sammy, you won one. It's not even that you guys won every single freeze-out. It's the the quality of play that you offer. So it was a lot of fun playing poker with y'all. And uh, I'm already looking forward to next year. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was it. going to the games and hanging out with everyone. I think the funnest thing for me, besides the poker tournaments, which were really high up there, like we did that every night and it was great, was uh, was doing the kind of kind of DFS draft at the fall stars game with everyone. That was, yes. that was probably the most fun that I had the entire time. We call that Paul stars, Paul stars, uh, because yours truly made that up and, um, you know, made it up. It, it's a DFS game for the all-star game. I didn't really have to go too far, but you know, I remember the first year that, that I got there and game was about to start. I'm like, well, why don't we draft some point? Like, what, what are we doing here? How, how is this not already a thing? And so I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get that going and we've been doing it every year. The, the real fun part was this started off with four or five of us taking three, four, five players. Well, this year we had such interest that we had 14 people in it. So we were just taking two players a piece and it was a lot of fun. We were hanging on every at bat that could be a game changer. And, you know, I was out, out in front, man. I really was, uh, the, the, the tortoise versus the hare there. I was the hare just running out. And then all you stupid tortoises, <laughs> tortoise, were slowly coming to get me. And before this, uh, by the seventh inning, I was out of it and it was down to a couple people. And in fact, uh, Christopher Welsh of, of the In This League podcast ended up taking it home thanks to Willie Calhoun. So it was a lot of fun. I I recommended it a billion times on the pod. I'm not paid to promote it for them. I think you guys would concur. That is one of the best events that you can do. And I strongly encourage you folks, if it's, if it's something that can fit your schedule and your budget, to sign up for it for next year and get out there to Arizona in 2017. It's a, it's such a great time. Yes, the crew of people out there, and there's just so many. It's all, all saturated with baseball holics. I mean, you can bring up any baseball related topic you want and there mm-hmm. will be at least three or four people who want to talk about it. It's amazing. That's, that's really the best part. The panels are great. I love being a part of them. The poker's fun. Uh, you know, whatever aspect of the actual conference you want to say, but just the ability to talk to people who are on that same baseball level, like you said, Doug, and they'll talk about anything. You'll definitely find somebody that wants to talk about it. That's, that's where the real fun is sitting in the sun on a Thursday, Friday afternoon in Phoenix. And, you know, you not even have to fully be engaged on the game because it might not have that many prospects, but you're at a ball yard, you're talking baseball, and that's what's so amazing. I want to thank you guys again for being on. You guys can follow them on Twitter, Doug underscore Thorburn, Sammy Reed FI. Sammy works for Fantasy Insiders. That's what the FI stands for. Doug can be found at various different places. He'll keep you abreast of that on Twitter. And their Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast, I'll put a link to it in the notes, but you guys really got to jump on that. I want to thank you guys again so much for being on and i'll talk to you all soon thanks for having us paul 
Yeah, thanks for having us, man. It's a ton of fun.